was very, that's so sweet. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you so much, church. It's good to be here with you this morning. Turn to somebody and say, I'm glad you're here today. I was, I was telling our ministry team, we meet together before services, and I was telling them that this morning, early in the morning, I did something that I don't typically do, and as I was just with the Lord, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about this moment. And I was scanning the room, starting from the back corner there and kind of going all the way over here. Uh, Brittany and Shaw, you guys moved because typically you guys are in the back over there. But I, I, there's a lot of you, I know where you sit. You sit in the same place, and I, I saw your faces, and I just beheld you in the spirit. And um, I, I just, there was a fondness that grew inside of me as I was thinking about you in the Lord and with the Lord today. So when I say that it's, it's good to see you, I mean that. It's good to have you in your presence here in the Lord together with us, worshiping the King of glory. Amen? Worshiping the only one who is deserving of our time and our affection and our devotion and our allegiance. And that's why we gather here. We gather here because God invites us here. And because, listen, if God invites me anywhere, I'm going Because if he's going to be there, I want to be where he is and where he's inviting me to be. And friends, he's inviting us to be here together. Uh, Funny story, my my little boys, they, they just celebrated a birthday yesterday. And so they got a couple of gifts last night that they didn't really get to enjoy. And so this morning they woke up and they were like, listen, mom and dad, do we have to go to church today? And we were trying to dig into like, what's going on right here? And at the root of it was, they just really wanted to play with their new toys, which, which is great. But in the process of discerning that, they were like, but we go to church every Sunday. Every, it was so dramatic. Every Sunday. To which Christy and I just replied, that's right. We do go every Sunday. And we go because God invites us. We are the people of God. He just needs to be lucky he wasn't born like 30 or 40 years ago when we went Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and all night prayer meetings and revival weeks. Like, listen, this is like Christianity light, guys. Let's be honest here. Before we end our time together in the presence of the Lord, I want to make sure we pray out Pastor Jonathan and Bonnie. They're going to be departing tomorrow going on sabbatical. They've been here at New Life Midtown with us for seven years. And in the New Life world, we have a policy that every seven years that we bless and we honor the faithful work and ministry of the ministers that are here. And that's everyone. That's from Martha all the way across, you know, the levels of people that serve. And we honor them with specific and intentional and strategic rest. And we want to pray into and over that time for you guys before we end today. Okay, I have a scripture I want to read to you. I have a word that I want to prophetically announce to you. And then I want to jump into our second to last installment in the book of Nehemiah. So, uh, Dusty, don't worry about these. I'm just going to read this. This is out of Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 4, and I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. And just open your spirit and open your heart this morning as you hear the word of the Lord. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even the ones who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. Friends, we are gathered together in the presence of Jesus Christ. He is the risen one. He's the resurrected one. And he's the one who's coming again. And when we come here, we open our hearts to him. We give our allegiance to him. We give our devotion to him in the form of our time and our money and our offering. But we give it to him in the form of our very lives, every part of our lives, because he is the only one who is deserving of our lives. As we were in worship, and actually it was as I was driving in this morning, I, I had this sense out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. I want to speak this over you. Actually, it's verse, it's, uh, it's verse 6, Matthew 5, verse 6. The scripture tells us, blessed are those who hunger and blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. And the word that it just dropped in my heart as I was driving here was that there are some of you that are hungering for God. And I'm praying today that he just fills you, that he fills you. Hunger and humility are the economy of the kingdom of God. Hunger and humility are the economy of the kingdom of God. God cannot turn his heart away from a hungry and a humble person. When you say, God, I'm hungry for your face and I'm hungry for your spirit and I'm hungry for your truth. I'm hungry for your word and I've got poverty of heart. My heart is impoverished because I realize and I recognize God, how desperately and how deeply I need you. God turns his attention to you and he can't resist hunger and humility. And for those, there's some of you that are just on the cusp of receiving something really, really precious in God. I just sense that in my spirit that, that there's these moments in God that mark us for eternity. They mark, I can think of dozens of times in my life most of them were just unexpected moments. In fact, in the, at the turn, while we were greeting one another, a dear precious brother gave me a word. I believe, and, and this word really resonated with my spirit. And by the way, like, listen, when we connect with one another, what an awesome opportunity to practice and to stir up your prophetic gifts of encouragement one to another. Because this word that I got was a word that bears witness with my spirit. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And this hunger that I'm speaking of is not a hunger that we just kind of muster up in our own will. There is a grace of pursuit. It is a grace of pursuit. And the grace of pursuit is our response to the pursuit of God for us. That when our eyes are opened to the degree to which God is pursuing us, it opens up a grace to respond in likeness of pursuit to him. Amen? So may the Lord bless the hungry ones in the house and may he reward those who are diligently seeking, seeking him. We are, like I said, we're on third base. Today we'll be on third base. Next week we'll slide into home plate on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, that's just a little nod to all of you who are watching baseball every single night from the wild card season into the playoffs through the World Series. Uh, 
May the Lord bless you and your team, whoever they might be. All right, let's go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to give a very, very quick overview of the last several weeks that we've shared together. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take chapter 8, and then next week we're going to jump into chapter 9 and 10. And then we'll be, we'll be done with our assignment for the book of Nehemiah for this season and then for this iteration. Uh, for those of you who might be joining us today for the very first time and maybe new to the book of Nehemiah, it's found in the Old Testament, and the setting or the historical timeline is the children of Israel, God's people, the ones who've been called out of Egypt, the ones who are the root of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the treasure of his eye, the people that are distinguished by his presence and by his name. They've been thrust because of just time and circumstance, they've been thrust into slavery in Egypt. God delivered them. And then over a course of many, many years, we see these cycles of them prospering and then also them falling into sin, them repenting, prospering, falling into sin. And then over a course of many iterations of this cycle, they had sinned so egregiously and so consistently to the point that they were actually removed from their homeland, the, 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 the city of Jerusalem. And they were exiled into a place and underneath a people's rule that are not their own. So this book of Nehemiah is actually written in what's called the post-exilic time period. So the people of Israel, for 70 years, they were enslaved uh, by another people. And now they've returned home. They have found that the walls around their city, they've been burned down. They've been broken and the, their identity and their religion as a people, it's just become so fragmented and so fractured. They've lost so much of their covenantal identity in God. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah gets word of this. The spirit of God falls on Nehemiah. He's captured by God's heart to go back and to help put this people and this city together. Nehemiah chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 really... Uh, share the story of Nehemiah's work in mobilizing a people to rebuild the physical walls of Jerusalem. Once these walls are rebuilt, the story, the narrative changes into now Nehemiah is working with the leaders of the community and by the Spirit of God to rebuild the people. And what we find here is that the, the rebuilding of the wall really is just a means to a greater end. That the primary assignment that God gives to Nehemiah is not just to beautify and protect the land around them. The assignment was Nehemiah go back and help restore covenantal identity in my people. So let's pick up the story here in Nehemiah chapter 8. By the way, Jonathan, great, great job last week turning our heart to the justice heart of God and reminding us that God cares for those that oftentimes are not on the grid of those that are valued and seen in society. That is the heart of who God is. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Turn there in my Bible. I'm going to read this in my physical Bible today. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all of the people came together as one. All of the people came together as one. I think this is fitting that Pastor Jonathan spoke last week from Nehemiah chapter 5 that not all the people were together as one. They were fractured. There was classism, right? There was socioeconomic division. 
And even when you look at those that are building the wall in chapter three, you find all of these different vocations, Levites, priests, ministers. And then what you find here is in chapter eight, in order for this people to be reestablished in their covenant identity, there must be a Holy Spirit mobilized and motivated unity that can only come by the Spirit of God. And so they gather together in the presence of God and they come together as one. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book. I love that. Everybody say, bring out the book. To bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand, which is code for youth and even children. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Say, listened attentively. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. You ever been, you ever seen any churches where like they have those elevated pulpits? Like sometimes you got to climb into this banister and they go up. Like that's a thing in some places. Well, they take that right here from the book of Nehemiah. They take that a little far, but they take it right here from the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a lot of men whose names I'm not going to mention. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. Say, opened the book. All of the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. There are some communities and some congregations that whenever they read the cornerstone passage of the scriptures, like all of the people stand up. And I think there's something really beautiful and reverential about that. Verse six, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and they responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Last verse in verse eight, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be poured out today. I'm asking, oh God, for the spirit of insight and the spirit of understanding to be released. I'm asking today that you would reveal Jesus as the word of God. I'm asking, oh God, today that every single one of us would have ears to hear, that you would anoint the ears of the hearers that you would anoint the lips, God, of the proclaimer, the messenger, that you would anoint our hearts to be tender and to be fertile, to be receptive. And God, that you would anoint our minds, that you would literally hover over our minds and give us a spirit of understanding. And Lord, I would pray even what was experienced by the disciples in Luke chapter 24, when those disciples sat under the teaching ministry of Jesus and they said to themselves, did not our hearts burn within us? as he simply opened the scriptures, I'm asking Jesus today that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would allow us to see the truth of your word in a new way, and that you would awaken our heart and our affection and our devotion to you in and through the word. And I pray it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go back to that first verse in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. 
when the seventh month came and the Israelites settled in their towns and all the people came together as one and they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book. One of the things that you're going to find here, if you end up reading chapter nine this coming week, is that in chapter nine, there is the spirit of national repentance that falls on the people of Israel. And it comes as a result of them standing under the reading of the law of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's just read over them hours, hours, hours. Seven days in a row, they stand under the reading of the word and something breaks open and they compare the lives that they've been living and the lives of their ancestors to the standard of God's word and it pricks and it pierces their heart And it brings such conviction where they realize, my God, we've strayed from the standard of life and wisdom and holiness that you have laid out before us in the law. And so they realize if we're going to be a society that lasts, if we're going to be a wholesome and good society, if we're going to be a flourishing community of people that are blessed by God, this is only going to happen by us living according to the law of God. It's the only way. Friends, we we live in a community and we live in a society right now that is hungry for the good life. The problem is, is that there are a lot of versions and a lot of variations, and there's a lot of invitations on what that good life is. And I'm just here to announce today that for every invitation and for every promise of what the good life is, wealth, success, status, relationship, social network, I'm here to announce today in courage and confidence, but also in humility, that the only good life that will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart is the good life that's found in following the wisdom and the way of God. And the wisdom and the way of God are found in the truth of the law of God. It's found in the word of God. If you want the good life in your family, it's found in the word of God. The secrets to the good life in your singleness, in this season that you're in, it's found in the word of God. If you want to understand the good life in wealth and economics, in stewardship and financial management, it's found the wisdom and the treasures and the principles of how to live a satisfied and humble and grateful life of contentment and life of blessing. Friends, listen, it is found in the word of God. And this is why the people say, the people come to this revelation and they say, Ezra, we need you to bring out the book. But there's this next phrase that's connected to this phrase, bring out the book. It's bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. In other words, following the word of God, it's a non-negotiable. Friends, you cannot live a strong, powerful, stalwart life in God without the word of God. It's impossible. And I love worship. I love music. I love, I love putting on, I've got dozens of playlists that are filled, and especially now, my God, the music that is coming out now, Maverick City and Brandon Lake, and it's just, it's, it's endless, the amount of music that we can just sit under that gives language to our affections in God, and yet, as powerful as music is, as wonderful as fellowshipping with community is, as activating as going around the world and sitting with the people that are not like us is, there is absolutely no substitute for strengthening your spiritual life like the word of God. You cannot be strong in God 
without the word of God, without a daily diet, a daily diet. I'm not talking about obligation here. I'm not talking about getting into some legalistic rhythm or routine. I'm talking about feeding, feeding, like nourishing, cultivating an appetite and a hunger for the sustenance that can only come from the words of God's mouth. There's this moment in Jesus's ministry where he's thrust into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness fasting, he's hungry. He's fasted for 40 days. Like some of us have a hard time fasting 40 minutes, let alone 40 days. He fasted 40 days and the scripture gives the greatest overstatement I've ever heard or understatement. He was hungry. And in this moment of temptation, the enemy comes to him and it says, hey, listen, if you really are the son of God, why don't you take these stones right here and feed yourself? And that's the temptation of society and culture today. Feed yourself. Feed yourself on Tucker Carlson. Feed yourself on CNN. Feed yourself on MSNBC. Feed yourself. Feed yourself on good relationships. And I'm not saying that those things are inherently wrong, but I'm saying if you're looking to satisfy spiritual sustenance in your life with the the stones of society, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're going to come up hungry over and over and over again. Because Jesus says this, Jesus says, man and woman, people, humanity, we shall not live on bread alone, but we live on the word that proceeds. It proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you read further along in Revelation 1, what you'll find is that when John sees Jesus revealed and he begins to describe Jesus using the limitations of his language, this is why in Revelation 1 and Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, he's always saying like. He's always saying like because like how do you describe the uncreated one? He's looking at God. He's looking at Jesus. And it's not the same Jesus that he laid his head on. This is a different, this is, this is Jesus, but this is like Jesus coming in the fullness of his glory and his power. And he just uses these similes and these analogies like, I don't even know how to describe you, but here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing something coming out of your mouth and it's like a sword. Man lives on every word that flows, it proceeds, it rushes out by rhema revelation, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's your spiritual sustenance. That's, right. that's your food. That's your protein shake. Mm-hmm. Huh? That's your vitamins. That's your vegetables. That's your full meal deal, right? It's the word that, is that, that, that the Spirit of God is alighting itself on. Bring out the book as the Lord commanded. I love that phrase, as the Lord commanded, because what it speaks to me is it speaks to a submission to the non-negotiable commands of God. That we live in a negotiable society. We, we, we live in a transactional, justifiable salesman society where, man, if, if, we, can, if we can finagle our way with, with enough logic, we can reason ourselves out of anything. And there are some things in life, but more importantly, there are some things in God that they're just non-negotiables. They're non-negotiables. And again, listen, if you want a powerful life in God, a strong life that withstands the temptation of the enemy, that withstands the the shifting winds of culture, the only way you're going to have it is by building a powerful life in the word of God. 
This is not condemnation. Please, none of you sit here and go, I'm not doing this, so now I feel condemned. Because the grace of God continually extends invitations. Come to the word today. Come to the table today. Come to the table today. I am dishing out a fresh meal of revelation in the table of my word today. Come to the table of God's word. Every single day, he is is cooking up a meal that is going to feed you, that is going to feed your life. It's going to feed your faith, your hope, your joy, your strength, your compassion, your love, your forgiveness. All of that's going to be bolstered and fortified by the strength of the sustenance of God's word. You and I are not powerful enough in ourselves to to, to live the life of God in this society and culture or in any society or culture. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, that the beginning of wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Right? The fear of the Lord is the starting point of wisdom. Many of us in this room are facing things right now where you require, you require the wisdom of God. Amen. You're facing things in your daily life where you're like, God, I don't know. I just don't know. How many of you, just by way of showing your hands, like how many of you are there right now? You're facing something, look at that, look around you guys. I'm facing something right now in my finances, in my work-life balance, in my job, in my supervisor, and the people that report to me. I'm frustrated, I'm irritated, I feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I need a wisdom that is from on high. Listen, Proverbs 9 verse 10, if you need a wisdom that comes from God, the fear of the Lord is the starting point of that wisdom. And the fear of the Lord essentially says, God, I can't rule, I can't live my life, my way, and get your results. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, God, you take the supreme place of priority in my life. I need a wisdom that is from above. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter three. I've been praying James three over my life over the past several weeks because I'm finding myself in a season where I need the wisdom of God in a way that I've never needed it before. I just sense this. It's like I'm, I'm purchasing the oil of wisdom for another season of challenge and difficulty and complexity and nuance that I've not even entered into. And I think that's just prophetic of where the body of Christ is at. That in this season, we need to be gathering wood and oil of wisdom, the wisdom of God, the wisdom and revelation of God, because the next season that we're going to go into is going to be fraught with complexity and even more complexity than the complexity that we're in now that requires a wisdom that is from above. But the wisdom of God looks like something. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. The wisdom of God looks like this. It is, first of all, pure. The wisdom of God is pure. And it's peace-loving. It loves peace. The peace of God, the reconciling, reconciliatory peace of God, the peace of God that makes brothers and friends of enemies, the peace of God that is able to come into war-torn countries that have been broken and divided by genocide and call a table of reconciliation and make enemies into brothers and sisters. Friends, that doesn't come by the wisdom of the world. That doesn't come by conventional wisdom. That comes by the wisdom that is from above. God's wisdom loves peace, and God's wisdom will lead to peace. How many of you guys who are married, 
and you've experienced uh, offense, disagreement, you've gotten yourself into a place of gridlock and you've doubled down on your own pride and you've said, I'm not going to go back to her. I'm not going to go back to Kim until they realize what they've done. That's called the wisdom of the world. That's called the wisdom that is fueled by selfish ambition and it leads to division. You're not going to have a vibrant marriage full of the fruit of joy and peace in your marriage long or in your business transactions or in your friendships if you double down on a posture of I'll show you or revenge or you need to or you ought to. There's a wisdom that, un- that it literally breaks the back of offense. It breaks the back of division. It breaks the gridlock of two people that are doubling down and saying, like, I will not move towards you. There is a wisdom that invites people into a table of reconciliation that releases the fruit of of unity and harmony. And I'm praying that wisdom upon us. But friends, that wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord that leads us to feed on the word of God. Right? It is an act of the fear of God and is an act of humility every time you open your Bible and you say, God, feed me and speak to me. That is a tangible act of the fear of the Lord. I need the wisdom of God. Let's keep reading here in James 3. The wisdom of God is peace-loving. It's considerate. It is submissive. It is submissive. See, one of the ways that I know whether or not we're operating in the wisdom of God is I just got to see whether or not you have a spirit of submission about you. Right? The, the, the wisdom of God will lead to a culture of mutual submission. Yeah. Uh, some of you guys know that I was in New York City last week. First time I've been to the city, and boy, it was a rush. So much energy, so much life. And uh, well, we're, at, we're, we're in Manhattan. We're taking a walk to a Broadway show. We're walking up the street. And just as loud as can be, there's, there's a couple and there's a young man and they're screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. No, you, no, 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 you, no, I said, no, you, no, you listen to me. No, I said, and then one of the guys finally said, man, forget it. And he got up and he, he sat down on the hood of their car and folded his arms and just looked at them like, you want to move your car? Well, you got to move me first. And I'm just like, that is not the wisdom of God. <laughs> The wisdom of God is submissive. It's full of humility. Because humility and submission are the only things that lead us to life. But the fear of the Lord begins with us saying, God, teach me. And the practical manifestation of that is saying, God, I come to your word. Now, listen, we live in a busy culture and none of our hearts, none of our hearts are explicitly wired this way where we say, I'm not reading the word because I'm just proud and I'm arrogant. And yet, trying to live life in this hour without the wisdom of his word, it's proud and it's arrogant because you can't do it, friends. You can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We need the wisdom that comes from God. Let's keep reading from Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to get like utterly convicted here by the people of God when we find out how long they've been sitting under the word. Verse two. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak 
till noon. From daybreak till noon. So from the, from the moment that the sun began to break through the darkness and release light onto the horizon, the people of God gathered, which means they woke up early while it was still dark. They got themselves ready. They gathered together in the same place. They readied their hearts. They readied their minds. They readied their spirits. And then they stood up for about five to seven hours. And they listened to Ezra just read the word. That's phenomenal. No commentary, no witty jokes, no inspirational quotes, no charismatic, nothing. They just read the word. And in fact, he actually, all those names that I skipped over, he had a crew of people that when he got tired of reading, it was like, next. And then someone else came up and just read the word. And the community, the assembly of God's people, they just bathed themselves. They canopied themselves under the word of God until something from the wisdom and the logic and the life and the spirit of God got down deep inside of them, so deep that it produced a response. Like I'm all for reading the scripture. In fact, it's, it's my preferred mode of engaging with the word. But there is something about sitting under the spoken word of God. Uh, one of the beautiful things about technology is that you can actually, Bible Gateway or any of your apps, you can actually have the word read over you. And, and here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Like if there's not a second that you have available in your day and you say, Pastor, man, one of the ways that I engage with the word is I, I just play that on my commute. That's, that's good. And if that's all you can do, man, do something. But there's something about sitting, getting your spirit settled, putting yourself in a quiet place of receptivity and response, and then play that word where your heart is open and you're not navigating traffic and you're not, you know, in a hurry, but you can settle your spirit and you can be responsive and receptive and attentive to the word. Because here's the next thing we're going to find in Nehemiah chapter eight, again, in verse three, it says that all the people listened attentively, attentively to the book of the law. What holds your attention right now? What is the thing that has captured your attention in this hour? So, so, so if the people of God sat under the word for five or six hours, that speaks to me about their capacity. Like God wants to enlarge and expand our capacity, which by the way, happens little by little, day by day. You don't get capacity overnight. You get capacity over the long haul of doing little things over and over and over again, and you bump your capacity from five minutes to seven minutes, from seven minutes to 10 minutes, from 10 minutes to 12 minutes, from 12 minutes to 20 minutes. And before you know it, it's, it's just like running. It's like resistance training. It's like anything that requires strength under pressure for the long haul. You want capacity in the word? It's a little bit every single day. And before you know it, here's what's going to happen. You're going to say, I, I, I'm not satisfied with an hour in the word. I'm not satisfied. You're going to start taking, you're going to start building out retreats in your yearly calendar. You're gonna say, I'm gonna block out entire days. I'm gonna block out entire weeks just to sit with the word of God, just to sit with God in his word and with his word. And I'm telling you, if you'll give God big blocks of time, 
He will do deep transformative work in your life that can only come with big, big blocks of time with God. But it says that they listened attentively. They gave the word of God their full attention. Like I don't have to go into a, a social commentary or a cultural commentary on how distracted we are. In fact, I think right now that one of the enemy's greatest tactics, and it's working so well, is if I can just keep God's people distracted, I'll keep them powerless. I'll keep them powerless. Because, because I'm getting the thing that's most valuable in all of eternity. Do you know what the most valuable thing in all of eternity is? It's your time. You can never get it back. And if you will invest your time into things that are eternal, God will give you eternal rewards and eternal dividends by what you sink your time into. Now, I read that word attentively. It took me immediately over to James chapter 1. Let's go back over to James chapter 1. We're going to look right here at verse 22. Scripture tells us, do not merely listen to the word. Don't merely listen to the word. When we simply just sit and listen to the word, we end up deceiving ourselves, the scripture tells us. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his or her face in a mirror and after looking at themselves, they go away and immediately they forget what they look like. There's no recall. There's no, there's no awareness. There's no memory of what it is that you just beheld. Verse 25, here's the kicker. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Whoever looks intently. Various translations use that word differently. Some translations say whoever looks closely or whoever looks carefully. And then I found this one translation. I love this. It says whoever gazes into the perfect law that brings freedom. But look at the rest of the verse. Whoever looks carefully and closely and intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And look at this, and continues in it. They persevere. It's not just one time. It's not just checking off, you know, whatever the, the, the yearly Bible plan has for us. Like there are some verses, the, ver, the, the scriptures of God are designed to capture your attention. And there, there are some, they're like little invitations. How many of you have ever got hooked on a little phrase in the word of God and it just, it got you and you couldn't let it go because it wouldn't let you go, right? And this is what it means to look intently into it. It means look at it over and over and over and over again and think about it and, 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 and look at it from different angles and think about how that applies into different areas of your life and, think, and let that word examine you. Let that word evaluate you. Let it cut your motives. Let it show you what your real motives are. Do you know that you don't even know what your real motives are? Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Lord, weigh my motives. Hebrews tells us that the word of God is like a double-edged sword that cuts through our motives and our intentions. Like we're so self-deceived that we're not even aware of the internal longings and the internal motivations of our heart. But when we get into the word of God, you know what the word of God does? The word of God shows you you. 
The word of God reveals the nature and the condition of your heart to you. Look intently into the word. Friends, I, I, I want you to become fascinated by the word of God. And not listen, not just like little Bible trivia things where you can stump everyone. Like I'm talking about be fascinated with the logic and the wisdom and the life and the power of God in his word. And if you'll do that, something will happen. Here's what here's will happen. It's what's designed to happen in the word. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. The word of God is given to us to reveal God to us. And when God reveals himself to us, it demands a response from us. Nehemiah chapter 8, going back to verse 5. So Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. They elevated the place of the word in their hearing. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. They gave the word reverence. In verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and they responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We can have the worship team come back up here, whoever's leading us back into worship. Friends, here's, here's what I want you to catch. The word of God should evoke worship inside of us. The word of God should so reveal the character and the person of God to us that it is impossible for us to read or hear the word and be unmoved. And this is where we need to search ourselves. This is where we need to do deep examination in the spirit of grace, not in the spirit of condemnation, not in the spirit of legalism, not in the spirit of shame. And you guys can come on up whenever you're all set. But in the spirit of grace, here's what I want to put out before you. Are you letting the word of God move you? Are you letting the word of God draw you into the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Are you letting the word of God reveal the facets and the features of God's beauty to you? Are you letting the word of God convict you? Are you letting the word of God heal you? Friends, I, I want you to know that when I get up here and I, I break the word open before you, I, I'm not looking to just give you a nice little principle. I'm not looking for nice, like witty little quips that you can walk away with and say, oh, wasn't that a nice, sweet word? I'm looking to announce the word to you that points your hearts to Jesus. I'm looking to awaken a divine hunger inside of you that whether we're reading out of Nehemiah or Song of Solomon or Revelation or Leviticus or where it is that we find ourselves in this incredible book of God's self-revelation, I want something, I want, I want salt on your tongue. I want salt and honey on your tongue. We're like, there's, there's, a, there's an appetite for God that is being awakened inside of you. And here's my prayer as we come to the table. I woke up this morning at 3.30. I feel like the Lord, you just, 3.15, nestled me. And here's the, here's the word that just kept going over and over and over. And I lay there for hours. And 3.15, finally pulled myself out of bed at 6.15, spent time with the Lord. And for those three hours, over and over, I just heard John 1.14. John 1.14, over and over, for three hours straight. And the word became flesh. 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 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see the glory and the radiance of who God is. So the spirit of the word of God is Jesus. 
Jesus is this word. Friends, if we're reading this word and we're not coming away seeing Jesus and loving Jesus and our character and our lives being transformed into the life of Jesus, we're not reading it the right way. You can read the word wrongly, right? And what I'm here to propose to you today is you can read the word in such a way that it gets down into the very fiber of your spiritual DNA and it changes you. It changes your hunger. It changes what you can tolerate, what you can stomach. It changes your convictions. It changes your standards. It changes the kind of conversation that you want to have. It changes everything about you because you're beholding the beautiful man, Christ Jesus, in the word of God. And here's what I encourage you to do. When you're reading your Bible, wherever it is, read it slowly, read it quietly, read it longer. And I'm asking you today, would you do this? Would you say, Holy Spirit, will you show me Jesus in this passage? Will you reveal Jesus to me in this passage? Will you capture my heart for Jesus in this passage? Will you awaken my spirit to the man, Christ Jesus, in this passage? Would you catapult me into the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this passage? Would you elevate me into the realm of God and his glory and his beauty in this passage? And if you'll do that, I promise you, you will never live a bored day in Christianity in your life. And hunger will be awakened inside of you. And you will become like the word of God. Will you stand with me this morning? I I meant to throw out this very humble disclaimer, which is true. I'm not speaking from a place of arrival or perfection. I'm speaking from a place of pursuit today. Guys, there have been seasons in my life where I have been spiritually bare, where I've lived in a famine of the word. I just confess that to you. There have been seasons of my life, for whatever reasons, distraction, busyness, hurt, offense, boredom, there have been seasons in my life where I've not come and I've not fed myself. But I'm here to tell you today that that that, that famine, that drought is over. Right? God is setting a table for you and he's setting a table for me and he's saying, feast, feast on the riches of the glory of my son that I've given to you in my word today. Will you hold out your hands, church? Oh God, Holy Spirit, spirit of wisdom and revelation, I pray today, awaken a hunger for the word. Teach us, instruct us, fashion our lives. Lord, I pray that we would not be conformed to the pattern and the mold of this world, but we would be transformed as you renew our minds, as you renew our imaginations, as you renew our logic, as you renew our reasoning, and you renew our creativity in the word of God. I pray that we at New Life Midtown and all that are joining with us online, God, that we would become more and more and more and more like the character and the compassion and the humility and the submission and the joy and the goodness and the life of Jesus as we feed on you in your word. God, I pray for God encounters in the word of God this week. I pray, oh God, that we would be fascinated. We'd be more fascinated with you than we are with anything that this world has to offer. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Friends, I want to invite you to come to the table. And as we come, I pray that God would cause the body and the blood of Jesus to become so real to you. That it awakens your senses. That it it stirs your appetites. 
and that it thrusts you into a renewal with the living God. So friends, I invite you to come as we break bread together. ever had someone who can cook really, really well invite you over for dinner and they ask you what your favorite dish is and like all day long, like you just, like you're literally salivating. You just can't wait. God knows what your favorite dish is in the word and he's serving it up, man. I'm telling you, he's got some delicacies for you and he's got some things on the menu you've never had before. And they're amazing. They're incredible. And I pray today uh, that our love for the word, guys, just, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Don't overdo it, right? Just a little bit. 
a little salt on the tongue, a little salt in the spirit, and he's going to expand your capacity for just large feasts in the word. Amen. Amen. You're a good church. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. Just break that in your hand. You got to get all those crumbs in your mouth, guys. <laughs> Cleaning team wants you to get all of these. We should probably break it in our mouth, not in our hands. He broke bread and he says, this is my body. This is my very physical body that I have willingly laid down to be broken for you. Friends, let us take and let us receive of the body of Christ. Thank you for the body of Christ. Jesus took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. I'm making this covenant with you by my very blood. And my blood is gonna remove all of your sins. So friends, today it's my honor and it's my joy to pronounce over you, your sins, your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the resurrection. Let us receive the cup today. Thanks be to God, amen. amen. He loves you so much and he's for you and he's got nothing but goodness for you. So can we sing a song of thanksgiving in the presence of the Lord together? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father's probably going to feel like musical chairs, Jonathan, but I'm going to have you join Bonnie. Come right up here in the front. Part of our benediction, we're going to send out and commission our beloved our beloved family here into their season of sabbatical. And then any of you who would like to have prayer for anything under the sun, we have a prayer ministry team that's up here who would just be delighted to pray with you. Would you stretch forth your hands toward the Swindle family while we pray today at the hand of the Lord, the spirit of Sabbath rest that the rejuvenation and the restoration that comes in the life of God, that comes by the ministry of the Spirit, Lord, I pray that it would fill up every deep part of their lives. Lord, I'm praying that you would help them grieve and that you would heal their grief. Lord, I pray that you would touch every fragmented and fractured and segmented and broken part of their lives, physically and spiritually and emotionally. Lord, I pray that you would surround them and cover them and keep them. And God, I pray that everything would go well. Lord, in the next seven weeks, just let everything go well. From Airbnbs to travel to finances, Lord, would you pour out provision and would you pour out favor? And God, I pray that daily they would find themselves at the table of the Lord, drinking deeply from the well of God. And Lord, we pray and we believe and we expect and anticipate that they're going to come back a new people. They're going to come back rejuvenated and refreshed and replenished. And Father God, they're going to come back with treasure to share with the people of God. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord bless you, church. And may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord be so gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. 
May the Lord smile a beautiful smile upon you. And may the Lord send peace out in front of you as you walk in his ways. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Amen.